Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. 2 Samuel chapter 10. And verse number 17. Now when it was told David, he gathered all of Israel together. He passed over Jordan. He came to Helam. The Syrians set themselves in array against David and they fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of the host who died there. And when all the kings of the servants of Hadazar saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon any more. And tonight I want to talk to you on a subject, the sin before our pride. The sin before our pride. God bless you. You may be seated. Sin before our pride. What a battle. 700, picture this just for a moment. 700 chariots destroyed. 40 thousand men that are riding horses in battle. 40,000. Now I'm conjecturing here so I'm not trying to establish a doctrine but I believe something happened between 2 Samuel 10 and 2 Samuel 11 that is not recorded. So if you don't want to buy into this, don't buy in. But listen to what I think happened. I think Joab said, look what the Lord has done. What a great victory. Now our enemies serve us. What a tremendous victory we've been through. God is good. And David said, yes, he is. What a great God we serve. And Joab said, you know, David, you are a great king. You are so valuable to Israel. You are irreplaceable. I thought I heard some of that, that we're all replaceable. And David, there's something I want to bring to your attention. When we go into battle, you're always out front. I don't think you should do that anymore. You're too valuable to lead the children of Israel into battle. What happens if somebody gets a lucky shot? hits you with an arrow, and you would die in battle. That would be devastating to this nation. We can't afford that. You're too important to lead in the front. I'll take, I'm your minister of defense. Let me lead the children of Israel into battle. You just stay home. You just take it easy. You just rest on your laurels a little bit. 700 chariots, 40,000 horsemen. It's okay, just stay home. So then if we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it will begin this way. That it came to pass after the year was expired 
at the time when kings go forth to battle, that would include David, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now it came to pass in the eventide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. She was bathing. Because there weren't any other men around. They were all out in the battle, she assumed, but not David. So David sent and he inquired after the woman, and one said to him, here's the information I've gathered about the woman you've asked about. Is this not Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, the wife, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now you know this is a married woman. And David sent messengers and he took her. And she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. David was selfish. Now, you may have some convictions. Um, I, I wear a wedding ring. I, I don't remember the last time I took it off. My wife wears a wedding ring. And she's always wearing it in public. Because you see, when I was growing up, even if it was just a simple band, if you looked at somebody and you thought you might want to have a conversation with them or, or it might even be an invitation to go out to dinner or something sometime, the first thing you looked at was the third finger on the left hand. And if you saw a ring on that finger, even in high school, it meant that person is off limits. That person is spoken for. You don't mess with something that's already got a commitment involved in it. Whether it was going steady, which is a term we don't hear very much anymore, do we? Going steady in high school or married. They were off limits. But David... Because he had now experienced this great amount of pride. Now was experiencing selfishness. Selfish. God hates pride, by the way. Hates it. Detests it. Comes right out and says he hates it. And that's about the strongest word you can use for a feeling other than love is hate. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination. That's a strong word. An abomination to the Lord, though hand join in hand, he will not be unpunished. You see, pride lists all of our abilities, our superiority to others, and our accomplishments. It tells us how great we are and what we are entitled to and how we should be treated by people that are inferior to us. That's what pride does. Look at Lucifer's pride in Isaiah 14, 
Verse 12, speaking of Lucifer in verse 12, it says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You are cut to the ground, which did weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, five times you will begin with I will. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud and I will be like the most high. Five times he began with, I will. Yet you will be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit and they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, this is what you're gonna say of Satan when you see him for the first time. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and to shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, that destroyed the cities thereof and opened not the gate of the prisoners? All because of his pride. He and one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven. You see, even heaven had a split. Don't know if you ever thought of that. But even heaven had a split. And it comes from people that say things like this. I can, I have, I will, I am. Be careful when your eyes get too close to each other. I, 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 I. That's pride speaking. And James 4 and 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, when I think of resist, I think of this. Stay away from me. Don't get anywhere near me. I resist a conversation with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Stay away from me. But the other hand, he gives grace unto the humble. So what I'm saying tonight is, what comes before pride? This is my opinion, selfishness. Selfishness is the thing that comes before pride. Galatians chapter five and verse 19 talks about the works of the flesh. And notice that the first four works of the flesh are all sexual sins. He begins with sexual sins when he begins talking about works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, the first four. Then he goes to idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, of the such like of which I've told you before as I've told you in the past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All things that appease our flesh and we take out of selfishness. I have a little saying that, that I wrote down concerning the how sin evolves in a person's life. And here it is, in case you haven't written it down before, it might be worth writing down tonight. Sin is born in selfishness. And it blames others. Sin is born in selfishness. And it blames others. 
Notice number one on the list of the four was adultery. Adultery. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The first thing we need to understand is this is not my body. This is God's body. If God lives inside of this house, this temple, this body belongs to him. And all of creation, I'm gonna be really bold with you tonight, all of creation belongs to God and God is the father of even the sinners. And all souls belong to God. That's why every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You may not realize it, but that doesn't make it not true. We are not our own. We ultimately belong to God and we will be accountable to God. The next chapter, the seventh chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, picks up where six left off. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. And let the husband render under the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Watch this now. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So the second person that owns your body after God if you're married, is your spouse. Never thought of that, did you? You always thought, well, this is my body. I can do whatever I want with my body. No, you cannot. You first belong to God, and you second belong to your spouse. I, there's probably nobody in this room but me that ever even heard of a book by Gail Sayers called I Am Third. I am third. Gail Sayers was a tremendous running back for the Chicago Bears and uh, a tremendous Christian. I found that out later in life. And his book was written, I am third, because God was first, his wife was second, and he was third. He put himself in the third position. I want you to know that selfishness destroys everything around it. Destroys everything. 
Well, I realize that there's no children in here, so I can, I can be very, a bit more blunt and direct with you tonight. The person that commits adultery against his wife has a ripple effect on a lot more than just you and that person that you had that sin with. Let me give you a short list. Number one, you've sinned against your God. You've sinned against your spouse. You've sinned against yourself. You've sinned against your church. You've sinned against your family. And you've sinned against your friends. It is an embarrassment and a tremendous hurt to all of those people. And that doesn't even mention her side, if it was the man, or his side, if it was the woman. Lots of people get hurt with adultery or fornication. It destroys people. And it's all because of selfishness. David took a woman. He could have had any woman in Israel that wasn't married. But he took a woman knowing that that woman belonged to another man. He was told. And he went ahead anyway because of his selfishness. She became pregnant. It gets, the story gets worse. Now she's pregnant. How's he going to cover it up? And he begins to scheme on how to cover up his sin. What's the man's name? Uriah the Hivite. Okay, bring Uriah back from the battlefield and let him spend some time with his wife. Perhaps they will be intimate and he'll never know that I'm the father. But Uriah comes back and says, how can I be with my wife when my brothers are fighting in the battle and he sleeps on the porch of the house and never approaches his wife? What an honorable man Uriah was. And finally, David realized that didn't work and so he sent him back to the battle. Then he schemed a little bit more. That didn't work. What am I going to do next? I know Instead of rotating on the front line, keep them on the front line. While the others rotate off and have a furlough or a time to recover from the battle, keep him on the front line till he dies. Sooner or later, somebody will kill him. And that's how Uriah dies. He dies on the front line. And he thinks, I got away with it. Nobody caught me. And you know what, this poor woman, now I can really look like a nice guy. She has no husband, nobody to take care of her. Well, the gracious king, King David, I'll take care of that. I'll offer to marry her. and Maybe they won't figure out that I'm the father. Maybe they won't be able to count the months or the days and I'll get away with it. And I'll end up looking good. And then I still got the hottie. 
until the man of God, Nathan the prophet, after God waited for David to repent, and he didn't, he sent Nathan. And Nathan told him a story. You've heard the story about a man that only had one sheep. It's like a pet. And instead of taking from his own, which he had many of, he took from the man that only had one and offered that sheep. And David was so furious that he said, you tell me who the man is and he dies. And Nathan said, you're the man. God knows what you did. You didn't get away with it. And God sent me to tell you, you didn't get away with this. You know, David made his mistakes. But the thing that stands out about David is that when he makes a mistake, he repents. When it finally dawns on him, he, you need to read the 51st chapter of Psalms to see this man's repentance. And he only makes the mistake once. He never repeats a mistake. That means he learned from it. It cost him. We all know about it now, don't we? And the boy that was born to Bathsheba dies. That's tough. The second son that Bathsheba had was Solomon. Didn't know if you knew that. But they lost a boy through this. See, it's, it's not about you. It's about us. Boy, that was a powerful statement. Thank you for that rousing response. It's not about you. It's about us. It's about us and Jesus. It's about us and the church. It's about us and our marriage. It's about us and our family. It's about us and our friends. Selfishness is only concerned with one's self. Isn't that deep? But see, we... We overlook the most obvious things in our life. I know this isn't a popular message, but we have to be on guard about selfishness. We have to be on guard about selfishness. Freely we have received. Can somebody say amen? Freely we have been instructed to take, take, take. No, we have been instructed to give. Freely we have received and freely we have given. And when I prepared this message, I tried to find a word that would describe selfishness. And, and the word I came up with was coldness. Can anybody relate to coldness? We've had some cold weather. Lots and lots of snow. It's been cold. And I don't know too many people that like it. Coldness. Let me tell you about the coldness of selfishness. Selfishness knows the truth, but it won't share it. Selfish. 
Selfishness knows forgiveness, but it won't give it. You get the idea? It's totally the opposite of everything that God has asked us to do and be. The exact opposite. We're supposed to be cheerful givers. I heard that tonight too. Cheerful givers. We're supposed to be merciful people. But selfishness isn't that way. It's all about me. I. And now. I don't care about the future. I only care about the present. I don't care what what the consequences are. I only want something right now. I remember when we were growing up, my brother Steve and I, we, we were not a very wealthy family and um, candy bars were at a premium. When you're a kid, my dad got, when my dad got paid on Friday night, this is, and my brother will back me up on this, on Friday night, we would get in our bedroom and we would watch cars that were coming down Nicholson Road hoping that they would turn into our subdivision thinking that would be our dad because when he got paid, he'd bring Hershey's bars. We'd get a Hershey bar. And when a car, dad, we'd say to Steve, Steve, that car's turning right. It's turning into the subdivision. That might be dad. It's turning left on Richard Road. That's dad. Couldn't wait. I mean, we were there. He's all shivering and cold and filthy from a day's work and tore up and and he'll come in and and we're grabbing for a candy bar. Dad, where's our candy bar? Not how'd your day go? So glad to see you. Appreciate all you've done. Where's my candy bar? I remember one time my mother tried to play Solomon. And she said, it was just two of us at the time, she said, we only got one candy bar. You two boys are going to have to share this candy bar. So she said, Rick, you get to divide. You're the oldest. So I busted that candy bar, and it didn't break perfectly in half. You know, it had a ridge on one side. I didn't care, because I'm the one that gets to divide. And then her Solomon was, and Steve, you get to make first choice. So you know what I did? I bit that corner off, and then I let him decide. If you're thinking that I feel sorry for him, I do. I feel sorry for you, brother. Selfish. Bit my part off. Took what I wanted and let him divide after that. My mother did teach us a few good things. Remember Gimme? If you're at the kitchen table, this is the way it was at the kitchen table. Pass the mashed potatoes. What'd you say? It sounded like you gave me a command. Do you, do you have a request of me? She wanted it this way. Would you please pass the potatoes? You don't say, give me the potatoes. And if you said, give me, this is what she'd say. Give me died. 
You ask for the potatoes this way. Would you please pass the potatoes? And when you get them, you say thank you. Is that old-fashioned or do we still do that? Do, do we, how do we treat waitresses, people in restaurants? How do we talk to them? Do you ever think of that? Waitress comes over, is there anything I can get you? Get me this and get me that. No, no, we can be respectful. Stop being so selfish and impatient. Could you please bring me a diet soda? It's not about us. Well, they're getting paid. I ought to be able to be mean and selfish because I'm paying them and then I'm going to give them a tip. Selfishness is... It's a black hole. You ever hear of a black hole in space? A black hole in space is something that sucks energy and gives nothing. But that's what selfishness is. It takes, but it never gives. It takes, but it never gives. Selfishness won't share. Selfishness won't give. Selfishness only cares about me and about now. Here are the questions that selfishness asks. Why should I? You're going to think about this the next time people ask these kinds of questions. I promise you, you're going to think about this. Why should I? That's a question of selfishness. What's in it for me? That's a selfish question. What's in it for me? How does this benefit me? Did you know, now I'm going to hit a nerve. Did you know that selfishness can even keep you from church? That's how powerful selfishness is. Selfishness is a spirit. It's it's a spirit. Why should I? What's in it for me? This makes me less and I don't see any benefit to myself. But selfishness can keep you from church. Let me, let me give you something to, to think about here. I think it was Brother Gerbing, Brother Dan Gerbing, that said it one time. He said, you know, I... I go to church on Wednesday night, primarily for me. I know I'm going to get some good teaching. And I know that the service is more geared toward the church and the body. But I go to church on Sunday to minister. I don't go to get, I come come to give. I come to give. When I stay home, I'm robbing the body. I'm not the pastor. This is the pastor, so if you got to complain about me and you don't want me speaking anymore, go see him. I can get away with this, though. I know what I can get away with. I don't need to go to church. I'm doing all right. I don't need to go to church. I'm tired. We're all tired. 
don't need to go to church. There's, what's in it for me? I don't need another sermon. I don't need another Bible study. I got a better offer. Somebody gave me some tickets and I can go to this or that. On a church night? On a Sunday morning? Selfish. Selfish. Do you know that the person sitting 10 feet from you may need a word from God and you being there makes you available to minister to that need. That person that just a few feet from you in a few minutes is gonna be at an altar and they might need your prayers. They might need your encouragement. They might need a hug. It could make their evening. You may be the one that has the spiritual gift that needs to be used tonight. Nine gifts of the Spirit, right? What if you're the one that has the message in tongues and you're not there? What if you're the one that has a word of wisdom? What if it's you that God wants to use for laying hands on the sick that they might recover? What if it's you and you're not there? Somebody's missing out. Somebody's not getting what they need because of selfishness. I can tell you a number of times, and I'm, I really appreciate the humility I see in this pulpit, whether it's from our pastor or it's from uh, Kyle Cordell or it's from Jeff and Shelly Brown, and, and they talk about some of their weaknesses and some of their faults. You know what? Every one of us is that way. Some of us just won't say it. But we all have needs. We all have hurts. We all have problems. We all have fears. That's why we have a body of Christ. And the body is supposed to minister to the body. But if its parts are scattered because of selfishness, somebody's not getting ministered to that needed to be ministered to because of absenteeism from selfishness. Do you know, I, one of the greatest men of God I know is a pastor by the name of John Grant. You might not like this. I didn't say it. He said it. But he said to his congregation, you are responsible for every message that is taught or preached from this pulpit, whether you're here or not. You pray and you ask God for questions and God speaks to his men and to his women that he puts in this pulpit to deliver the mail and you're not there, shame on you. Now I know you need vacations and I know you need to be out of town and I know people get sick once in a while and they can't be here. But if you can be here and you're not or if you got your priorities mixed up and you're not here, you're missing what God wanted you to have and you're wondering when he's going to answer your prayers, and he just did. But you weren't there. Because of selfishness. 
So let me conclude with this. The cheapest, least expensive, and safest way to live is to be single. Now, please, I know people could take this wrong. I'm, I'm not speaking against people that are single. Some people are widowed. They may never marry again. Some people may never marry because they never found the right person. They're still part of the body, still part of the family. They're still important. Please don't misunderstand me. But when you're single, you only got yourself to look after. You're, only, you're the only income too. I know there's disadvantages to it as well. But marriage is going to cost you. Raising kids, it's going to cost you. I, my wife and I could have lived a lot cheaper without a Michael and a Cheryl. But I thank God for a Michael and a Cheryl and a Keith and a Donna and a Mariah and a, do I need to go on? And a Troy and a Nathan and a Mariah. Good investment. And how about my relationship with God? What's that going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? What are the returns versus the investment? That's what we should be looking at. The returns. What is the value of my relationship with God? A wife of over 50 years. Generational children. It's worth it all. It's worth it all. And if you don't think so, Someday, that one you love, and I've made a deal with God, and I hope he sticks to it, I go first. I can't live without her. She can live without me. But I can't imagine the loss of a spouse. Or if you lose children, hurt and the pain that shows you how valuable and reminds you, thank God you weren't selfish. You weren't selfish. Let's stand together. Third John. Third John chapter one verse four. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. No greater joy. If you've got biological children and they're walking in the truth, oh, thank God. But I think this verse of scripture is more than just biological children. I think it's spiritual children. And I can tell you this, I, I have some kids spiritually. And one of them is Becky and Rich Gruber. 
And when I look at that couple, it just does something for me. And the miracle that's taking place in Rich's life right now where they said, you've had it, buddy. And I look at him stand up and say, but what does God say? Not what, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. When I see him at the altar praying or praying with one another, or I see a, a Robin Meyer laying hands on young people and praying with them, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. We need to make an investment in people. I conclude with this. Pastor said it. I wrote it down as soon as he said it. He said, we need to get off of the battlefield and we need to get into the harvest field. Get off of the battlefield. Get into the harvest field. Have children. Don't be selfish with all that you have been given. Jesus, I pray against the spirit of selfishness. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see the great joy of giving, the giving of truth to those who are lost the giving of finance to those that have need, the giving of mercy to those that need forgiveness. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.